Good morning, Grace. I got really excited. I was able to hang out with a band for a few minutes up here, and they gave me a microphone, but they won't let me sing. So I guess I'll just read some scripture to you guys, maybe next week. Probably not. <laughs> We're going to be reading from uh, the book of Philippians today, chapter 3. We're going to be reading from verses 12 to 21. So Philippians 3, verses 12 through 21. And Paul says, Not that I have already attained, or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid a hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk, as you have us for a pattern. 
For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. As I was reading that a couple times this week, there were three things that really jumped off of the pages for me. I see focus here. There's a certain focus that Paul has in writing this. I see unity. He's asking for unity in the body. And I see his focus is primarily on the citizenship of heaven. His focus is not on this, this earth. It's on what's to come. And so the challenge for us is to do the same thing. That as 2020 has shifted our focus from really important things like Christ and our citizenship being in heaven and kind of put it on the earth and what we have going on here, important things, it cannot trump what's in here. This has to be our focus. And so that's, that's been my encouragement that I'm taking away from this, and I hope that y'all can take something as well. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you um, for the first service. Father, I thank you for um, ministering to me. Father, I'm, you're just so faithful. And you're so good. Father, I'm just in awe of your word and how it is just always applicable. Father, how you just, you're just always working. Lord, you're just awesome. Father, I pray that you would um, be with the band. Father, that you would be with that as they lead us in worship and, and teaching, Father, that ultimately would be done for you, that you would receive honor and glory from what we're doing this morning. Father, it truly does revolve around you. Lord, help our minds to be focused. Lord, help us to have unity. Help us to keep our eye on the prize. It's in your perfect and holy name that I pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Good morning. It's good to see everybody in the house of the Lord today. It's kind of cold outside, but it's always good to come in here and get warm. But uh, it's also nice to have the warm fellowship of each other. I think God would have us do that, and uh, so it's always good to, uh, to be together uh, to worship. It's uh, amazing how uh, God has his hand on uh, putting together worship services. I would like to, I would like to say that it's, it's me or it's, it's B doing it or whatever, uh, but it's not. It's usually God putting it together. And today is uh, no exception. And I think about the importance of what we do here when we come to worship together. It must be important that God's hand is on it and involved with it. And uh, I think today is an example of that because of what our focus is going to be today. I had a, a good friend of mine uh, from here uh, sent me a text this last week with, a, with an article and the article was about the fact that, that 
you know, as a church, churches just don't sing about heaven as much as they used to. You know, we sing, we sing a lot about other things, and we do a little bit, but we don't really focus like they used to. And uh, so I got to thinking, you know, I think there's something to that. So I said, I told my wife, uh, Denise, I said, uh, I think we're going to sing about heaven uh, this next Sunday, and that's what we're going to do today. And we're going to worship together. And I want us to focus on that because that verse of Scripture, our citizenship is in heaven. And that should be exciting to us. And I hope it is to you today. So today we're going to stand. We're going to all stand. And we're going to sing about the victory in Jesus we have and about uh, our eternity. Let's sing together, maybe. I heard an old, old story How a Savior came from glory How he gave his life on Calvary To save a wretch like me I heard about his roaming Of his precious blood
singing and we'll be shouting the victory that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you're going to be there. Are you going to be there? Okay, well, I hope so. Some of you sound a little questioning there, uh, but we trust in the Lord Jesus. I want to, last week I sang a song for you to kind of introduce to you, but uh, I want to sing, I want us to sing Forever Jesus, and I want you to join in with it as we sing. I want to let you re, uh, sit, sit down, and uh, but I want you to sing, okay? You'll catch on to this. A great song. It's called "My Hymn of Praise Forever, Jesus." Listen to the choir uh, or to the group and sing along with us. My strength, my hope, through many fears and failures, the disappointments of the past. His constant love has held me fast. Oh. 
shall be forever Jesus when shadows lengthen before my eyes my Lord and friend companion through the valley when dearest ones are left behind his hand will lead me to Jesus. We'll close out the worship time. And I think that in Thad's sermon, you're going to see what we're talking about, that our focus needs to be on the Lord and not on things around us. We need to live our life, we need to live our life focusing on the most important thing, and that's his word. And we need to allow the, the Holy Spirit to live in our life through these tough times that we're facing more important than ever that believers live live Christ and that what this, this song is all about it says yet not I but Christ in me Sing, all is mine, yet not 
Father, we know as believers in, in you, Father, we know that we are supposed to live our life not only for you, but allow you to live your life through us. We've kind of adopted the little phrase that we're living Jesus, we're living Christ. So Lord, as we go into this time together and we talk about our focus and we talk about what we need to be doing as believers, God, 
We just pray that you would live your life through us. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, God, we would yield to him, Father. We, we, we can live our life, live your life through us. God, thank you. Thank you for this time of worship, the time we focus strictly on you and your word and what you have to say to us. So, God, we just ask you to be with us during this remaining hour. Father, uh, just uh, open our hearts to the preaching of your word. These things we pray in your son Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Good morning. Good to see all you guys today. I trust you've uh, come with uh, teachable hearts and um, in a tough passage. Before we go uh, there this morning, I wanted to just make mention of a couple of things um, that concern our body uh, here at Grace. Um, the first one has to do with uh, Kathy Hightower. I don't know how many of you had the privilege to know Kathy. It was a privilege to know her. Um, Thursday night, I received a text during an elders meeting that she had gone to be with the Lord. And, um, you know, when we think about death, um, there is grieving that takes place. That happens, and it's natural, right? Solomon writes, there's a time for everything under heaven. And so we do grieve, but Paul says we don't grieve without hope. And so, you know, the funeral's this afternoon at 3 o'clock, and um, it's, it's going to be a time of grief for the family. But this is what separates the unbelieving funeral from the believing funeral. An unbelieving funeral, there's just grief. But at a believer's funeral, there's not just grief, there's celebration. I mean, we're celebrating the homegoing, Kathy, and if you knew Miss Kathy... You knew she was sick for a while, and yet you knew she was ready to meet her Lord and Savior. Uh, so it begs the question, are you ready to meet Christ? So we want to pray for that family today. Um, the visitation will be at 2 o'clock at Jefferson Memorial, and then the funeral will follow at 3 o'clock. Uh, she's one of those ladies, if you didn't have the privilege to know her, um, you sure missed out because she was a lady who... Although sick, you would never know it. Um, she just rejoiced in the Lord. That was her countenance. That's how she carried herself. And, um, hey, she's doing a whole lot better than you and me right now. So we praise the Lord that she uh, knew him and, and is with him now. Also this week, you received news concerning uh, Brenda Seal and uh, her cancer. And... Um, She's under hospice care at her home, and I know this is sudden and quick for the body. It's hard to, you know, kind of digest all that. Um, I was with Buddy on Wednesday when he told his wife, you know, that was hard. But I want you to know that that in itself, I wish all of you could have been there. What a testimony it was to witness what the Lord was doing through Buddy as he talked to his wife of 55 years. That's a long time. But uh, we want to pray for um, them, for comfort, and for mercy for Brenda. Uh, we want to pray for strength for Buddy. I think that it's appropriate that we do that uh, today. Uh, we love both of those families, and both of these families need our prayers. 
and need our support. And I know as a church family, you're going to do that because I, I know what kind of people you are. And so um, you just please keep them in your prayers uh, during this time. And uh, so let's just go, to the Lord, and just ask him to, to be with these families. All right. Lord, we just um, come to you this morning, and our hearts are heavy because, you know, we see the results of death with people. We see that, Lord, like uh, in the case of Katie, she's going to miss her mom. And, Lord, they're, all the, the kids, they're going to miss their mom. And, that, and that's normal. That's right. But, Lord, I just pray that this afternoon would be a time when um, the family can not only grieve, but they can celebrate that she's no longer suffering, but that she's with you. And, Lord, we just commit that family to you for Katie and, and for the rest of the kids. We just commit them to you today, Lord, and just pray for your mercy and grace in their lives. Lord, I also want to lift up uh, Buddy and Brenda. Um, you can't say one name without the other. They just go together. And so we just are so, so thankful, Lord, that, that you know everything going on in her life with her body. And, um, Lord, it grieves us because we love her. And it grieves Buddy and the family. And Lord, I just want to thank you that she came to know you when she was 14 years old. And, um, Lord, that, that truly was the greatest day for her. I pray that, Lord, you would just be with them in the quiet moments when they're by themselves, Lord, that you would, would give them some good hours and some good days, Lord, as, um, as uh, she's there at the house, and we just commit them to you. Um, and, Lord, on our part, I pray we would think about whether or not we're ready to meet you. I, I trust that's true, but, Lord, in an audience um, like this, I'm not certain about every person here. I don't know, but you do. And so I just pray that, Lord, you would work in the hearts and lives of people today that are in here that may not know you, that they would know that Jesus Christ paid it all. He died on the cross at Calvary for our sins. And, Lord, we're just so, so thankful for that sacrifice and what that accomplished. And, um, Lord, that by faith and trust in you as the Savior, that, that we can have hope, the hope of eternal life, just like was for Kathy and like is for Brenda. So we just commit ourselves to you this morning as we study. May, um, may you be glorified in all that we say and all that we do in Christ's name. Amen. Take your Bibles and go to 2 Timothy in chapter 2. We're, we're coming to a portion this morning that's going to be hard for you to hear. So I'm just warning you. I mean, if you want to get up and walk out, you better go ahead and do it because you're probably not going to like the message a whole lot. But... It's a really important one. I told you last week to enjoy that one because Paul told Timothy, hey, look, you're responsible to remind believers about Christ. That's easy to do. But this next section and what Paul told Timothy to do is not so easy. And so I want to read verses 14 through um, 19, but I want us to concentrate our attention this morning um, on verse 14 in the second part of that because the subject itself I think demands that we give um, attention just to it so in chapter 2 verse uh, 14 he says remind them remember we talked about that last week 
aren't sure if he's referring to the church at Ephesus or to the faithful men. If you're just going to take it in context, I think verse 2 tells us he's talking about faithful men. But the broader application would be to the church. Okay. Remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed accurately handling the word of truth. But avoid worldly and empty chatter for it will lead to further ungodliness and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of some. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. This morning's emphasis is on word battles. <laughs> Uh, word battles. Have you ever had a word battle? Yes, you have. And if you haven't had one, you will have one. It just happens. We're human. Um, it's just part of our makeup. We're going to have word battles. I don't need to give you examples, do I? Like you might even have them in your home. You ever had a word battle in your home? Yes, you have. Um, at school, right? You have word battles at school at times. There's word battles in the church. I want you to think about your life and the word battles that you've had. And if you haven't had any, I guess you can just go to sleep. But if you have had them, I want you to pay attention because... It's very important that when we come to the end of the service, there be a mind of confession. We know that word battles are going on in our world, in our present world. In fact, all you have to do is go to the Twitter world, which I've never been a privilege to go to, thank the Lord, um, and Facebook. It's happening on a daily basis. You expect it to happen with the unbeliever. Maybe you don't expect it so much with the believer to be engaged in word battles with people. But it happens. To be honest with you, I've been a little disappointed. I've stayed away from Facebook as much as possible. This last week I went on a couple of times just to reacquaint myself with the word battles that I thought were there. And guess what? They're there. And they take place between unbelievers and they take place between believers. I don't quite know what it's accomplishing. I'll leave that up to you to decide. I did challenge the people in the first service. What if we spent a week, just one week, not engaging in word battles about things that we can't control? But if we would engage one week, with the unbelieving world and with the believing world and on Facebook or Twitter or whatever it is you do, just post scripture. Wouldn't that be different? 
Wouldn't that be awesome? I think it would be different, and I think it would be awesome. Because we know the Word of God is powerful, and it's sharp, and it penetrates as far as joint and marrow. I wanted to share with you the first time the Lord made me aware of like this issue of having a word battle in my life where it impacted other people. I was in college. I played on the basketball team in college, and that might be hard for you to imagine, but you can imagine it. I was listed in the program at five foot ten. That was not true. But nonetheless, they listed me that way. Well, in the summer times, we would play uh, in leagues. And some of those leagues were around the Birmingham area. In fact, uh, I played in a league at the Alliance Christian School. I don't know, that's off Highway 31 years ago. They had a Christian school there, and I played in a summer league. In fact, that particular summer, I played in the same league as Bobby Humphrey. You might have heard of him before. Um, but we would play uh, usually during the week, a weeknight. And uh, I was the point guard on the team. My responsibility was to distribute the basketball. They did not look to me to shoot. That wasn't what I was good at. But I could distribute the basketball, and I could play defense pretty well. And we're playing, and there was a guy on the team, well, two guys on the team that I knew quite well. We worked together a lot, playing together a lot. So I knew kind of what they did, and I had a tendency to go to my right a lot, not so much to my left. The guy on my right was really good. The guy on my left was really good. We're going down the court, and it was about two times in a row I hit the guy on the right. And the guy on the left got upset with me because I wasn't seeing him. And he just kind of got on me, and I just turned around and got all over him. And I just started yelling. And he started yelling. It was an ugly scene. Now, there was no swearing going on, but we were, it was very evident we were mad. Have you ever been in a position in a room where uh, two people arguing is just quiet? Like, all of a sudden, it's just, and there's people in the stands, and there's guys on the court. The game just stopped. And he and I were going at each other. We were in a word battle. Neither one of us won the battle. In fact, we lost our testimony that day on the floor. It was quite clear that I was wrong, and I knew I was wrong. And I didn't do anything about it. We just kind of went our ways, and we talked some, but it just wasn't the same. And not long after that, uh, a few years later, um, very few years later, I end up in New York State, and uh, I'm serving as associate pastor up there, and I'm sitting through a sermon one day, and pastor's talking about relationships with people and mending those things that are wrong. And you know what came to my mind? You know what the Spirit brought up? That incident. I thought I was kind of free and clear from it, right? I mean, time had gone by, and we talked, and yet never, nothing was ever said about being wrong about anything. I'll never forget that first Christmas we came back to Birmingham. Uh, I couldn't wait to get back, to go to his office. The Lord opened up that door the very next day. We got back 
on a, let's just say a Friday and on that Saturday I went to where I knew he was I was sat in his office and I just poured my heart out to him I said I was wrong you know what he said to me I didn't tell him this first service but he said that, that incident's been on my mind for a long time I don't know how, how that's hitting you or when you've had those word battles with non-believers or believers, but I'm quite certain that if we take a hard look at that, you know, we might have the Spirit leading us to make things right with somebody. And um, so imagine having to say to a group of men which Paul was charged to, or a group of Christians, hey, look, I'm telling you they don't need to engage in word battles because it's useless and it's to the ruin of the hearers. That day in that gym, it was to the ruin of the hearers. Every single person. And we know it happens in churches, and we've been around it. The question becomes, what is our responsibility in all this? And I think to kind of appreciate that, we have to go through the text itself. And can you guys just fast forward to that next slide? I don't know what I did with that thing. Is it over here? There it is. All right. I just want to kind of give you the outline and then just kind of go through some what I call extra stuff. I'll make some comments along the way. But the responsibility to admonish them in verse 14 about not wrangling about words that was Timothy's responsibility okay he was responsible to do that the witness to his responsibility and to the hearers was the Lord all right the Lord was the one who would witness what Timothy would say and would witness what those that were hearing he would witness what they heard so you have an admonishment here on the part of Paul to Timothy. And I think the, the, the huge stress there in the first part of that is the witness who is the Lord. So there's no way he could get away from the responsibility he had, right? The Lord was the witness to what was being said, not only by Timothy, but was what was being heard by the hearers. Then the second part of this outline in verse 14 he talks about the warning, and the warning is simple. Don't engage in word battles. Don't do it. And he gives him two reasons why he's to pass this on. First of all, word battles have no profit. There's no profit in that. And then it's catastrophic. Um, we get the word catastrophe from that word ruin that you have in your Bible. We get the word catastrophe from that. Now, when we think about catastrophe, we might think about tornadoes and the catastrophic damage that uh, takes place when there are tornadoes. You remember back years ago here in this area, there were tornadoes with catastrophic damage. People's lives were changed. Um, we also maybe think about hurricanes. I grew up in southwest Louisiana, and hurricanes were just a part of everyday life. I mean, you just... You, when the hurricane season came, you were just wondering if it was going to hit your town. I grew up in southwest Louisiana, in Lake Charles, Louisiana, and if you watched the news at all in 2020, you know that Lake Charles didn't just get hit one time by a tornado, but twice. And the damage was catastrophic. 
Now, bringing that back to the context of this passage, Paul tells Timothy, look, warn these guys not to have word battles because it's catastrophic. It does irreparable damage. You ever been in a situation where you've seen two believers going at it? That ever happened to you? Or where maybe in a church where it's going, you know, people are just at each other? You say, oh, that doesn't happen in the church. Yeah, it does. It does. I've seen it. Tell you more about that in a little while. I wanted to talk to you about avoiding that. And I wanted you to kind of understand um, kind of the depth of this passage. So I did a little bit of extra for you to kind of understand the intensity of what Paul is saying here. Um, Wayne Barber, who is a great Bible teacher... He wrote this about word battles. Word wars never lead to moral and spiritual edification, but always produce the opposite effect of subverting or corrupting those who are listening. You know, when word battles are going on, sometimes there's an audience. You just think about it in a real simple example as being in the home when parents, I know it's hard to imagine, but just imagine for a second, that your parents are having word battles. Kids are watching. They're always watching. And it happens in the body of Christ. The body of Christ watches. They watch. Notice what he says. He says, the body of Christ must stand for the truth. Now that is absolutely and without question what we are supposed to do. We stand for the truth. And we stand on the truth. But the issue is our attitudes and our actions as we're doing that. It's how we are standing. We must stand on the truth. Paul's not talking about that. He's not saying don't stand on the truth. But it's how one is standing on the truth. Is there a humility or is there pride? Those are the issues. He says that... It must not become a debating society, which I believe it is right now. I believe it is now maybe more than ever a debating society. Wouldn't you agree with that? And the church is debating with those who aren't a part of the church, and the church is debating with the church about issues that aren't even eternal. And I have to be honest, when I look, I go, what are we doing? Maybe we're a little bit off the trail. Maybe we've allowed the events of the last year to so take us over that we have forgotten what our central purpose is. Just maybe. But it is true. There's a debating so we live in a debating culture, and it's going on all the time outside the church, and its consequence is that it's going on inside the church, and it's dividing the church. You and I are witnessing the dividing of the church. If nobody said it because nobody wants to talk about it, 
but that is the truth. And I don't like it. I don't like conflict. I like unity. I mean, we, if I said, look, do you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ that a man or a woman is justified by faith, by grace, through faith alone in Christ alone? Do you agree with that? Do you agree we have the responsibility to make disciples? We can all agree on that. But there are some of the things in church culture where there's tension. Now, my personal belief is that sometimes we have to be good with that tension. I don't know how you're hearing that, but otherwise we say, well, I have to win the argument. And don't they know I'm right and they're wrong? (laughs) So the church can be a debating society, and I would discourage us from that. He goes on to write, it is easy to become distracted by negotiable issues. And take our focus off our central purpose, which is to preach the word of truth and make disciples who in turn make disciples. And I think you would agree with this. In the last year, the church has been distracted from that. In fact, I think if the apostles could make an appearance, they would probably say something like, what are you doing? Well, I did a little bit of study on this word, solemnly charge, which is one word in the Greek. And the reason I did it, caught my attention, was when I started doing like a study on where this, uh, where this word occurred in other places in Scripture, it just like, whoa, hold on a second. This is heavy stuff. This wasn't just, hey, by the way, warn those guys not to get in word battles. Uh-uh. This is serious stuff. And I think we know that, don't we? Because the church of the Lord is charged to be unified, and we know that there's disunity. So we have to do everything that we can, by the grace of the Lord, to maintain unity in the body. The first two points about this word, dia marturomai, or solemnly charged, It was used in the Greek culture to call the gods and men to witness something being done or said. So this is what's going on in that. When Paul tells Timothy, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God, this is what he's saying. He's saying, hey, Timothy, God is going to be witness as to what you do with this. (laughs) God's going to be witness as to what you do with this. And God's going to be witness to the hearers, to the ones who are hearing what you're saying. In other words, what does that mean? There's accountability and there's no way to get out of it. Because who's the witness? The Lord's the witness. So Timothy couldn't just go, no thank you very much, Lord. I don't want this responsibility. He had to take it. And the hearers, the Lord would know what they what was being said by Timothy. So he would know what Timothy said and he would know what these men or the church heard. What does that create? Accountability. Accountability. Did you know that you're responsible, and I'm responsible, in my Christian life, for what I have heard about this book? I'm responsible for 
So like, for example, how many of you have heard of the passage in Colossians chapter 3, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth? How many of you have heard that? Raise your hands. Guess what? We're responsible for that. Now, how does that sound? Oh, my goodness. Right? It's tough. That's, by the way, that's a whole sermon in itself for now. Set our minds on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. So the Lord's the witness to what Timothy would say and to what the hearers would hear. Now, there's a prefix to that word marturamai. Now, that might not just get you all excited, but it's important. Um, it intensifies the meaning of the word. And it literally means that last sentence. It means that Timothy was to thoroughly warn or thoroughly charge his audience. In other words, he was not to skirt any issue. He wasn't just to, to lay back and just give them a little bit. It was to be a warning. Really an intense warning about not having word battles. And he had already given him the reason why, and you read it. It's to the ruin, it's useless, and to the ruin of the hearers. There's a third point here that's made. Um, again, you might not get real excited about it, but here's what Timothy would have heard or read. When he saw that word, he knew that the Lord had given him the responsibility to warn these faithful men of the church. And that he was to warn them over and 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 over again. So my goodness, that sounds awful. I mean, after the second or third time, they're not going to want to hear this anymore. So, did that mean Timothy wasn't supposed to do it? Uh, uh So imagine being Timothy. Oh my goodness, I'm supposed to warn these guys, not just once, but over and over and over again, about not engaging in word battles? Yes. You know, repetition is part of your experience as a Christian. How many times have you heard the verse John 3.16? So much so that you're tired of hearing it? Or I've heard that message or I've heard that sermon. I've gone through that text on the rapture so many times. I'm tired of hearing it. What are you talking about? This is the living and active word of God. Does it matter how many times we hear it? No, but you know, we live in a culture that wants new all the time. Just give me something new. You know what I say? Until we get a handle of the old, let's forget that. This is what we need, and we need it all the time. And that's what Paul was telling Timothy. He said, look, you warn those men over and over and over and over and over again to the point of nauseam for them, so what? Another interesting point about this word, and I, this is, uh, as I was doing my word study and just studying it, the first time this word is used 
is in the context of the rich man and Lazarus. So I don't know that. What is that about? I want you to go back in your Bibles to Luke 16. I want to show you something. Luke chapter 16. The word solemnly charge is used in this text. Luke chapter 16. Use your Bible and turn back to it or use your phone or whatever it is you got in front of you. Go back to Luke 16. This same word is used. Verse 22 of chapter 16. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Place of comfort. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. And saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things. And likewise, Lazarus, bad things. But now he is being comforted here, and you're in agony. Besides all this, between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed, so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able, and that none may cross over from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers in order that he may epimarturamai, warn, solemnly warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, they have the word, let them hear them. But he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and lots and lots of people have not been persuaded. You think about the context of that, and you think about where that rich man was in a place of torment. And by the way, as you fast forward the pages of Scripture to the book of the Revelation, the lake of fire is a place of torment. There's heaven and there's hell. That's it. That's it. And the question becomes... For you and for me, where will we spend eternity? Because every person lives eternally. And I trust, I solemnly warn you that every person in this room will spend eternity in one of those two places. That's what the Bible says. So if you look at the intensity of what's going on in 2 Timothy, but it's strong, but, but then you go back to the first usage, and you're like, whoa, this is a big deal. This term is huge. There are two other times in the letters to Timothy that this phrase is used. 
Um, the first one is in 1 Timothy chapter 5, and it's used in the context of elders. You need to see this. All right, in the context of specifically elders who have a charge against them of sin. What do you do with that? What do you do with an elder who's in sin? Well, the Bible talks in verse uh, 19 about that of chapter 5. After he's talked about those who are worthy of double honor, those who preach and those who teach, he comes to verse 19 and he says of chapter 5 of 1 Timothy, Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. So there have to be witnesses. It's not just one person. Then he says, Those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all. So that doesn't sound good. It's not good. Well, because it doesn't sound good, we don't need to do that. Is that what the passage passage give you an escape? No. Doesn't give Timothy an escape. He says, Those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all, so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. You say, well, how big of a deal is it? Verse 21. I solemnly charge you. I epimarturomai you, Timothy. In the presence of God and of Christ, Jesus and of his chosen angels, maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in the spirit of partiality. Meaning this. Hey, Timothy... You can't ignore it, and you have to deal with it no matter who it is. So when we go to our brothers and sisters in Christ, we know who are in sin. We know what the Bible speaks about in terms of seeing that person restored to the body. But we can't ignore the sin. Paul's saying, hey, Timothy, you can't ignore it. It doesn't matter who it is. And there's a lesson in sin. If one does not turn from it, you bring it to the church. Why? Not to beat the person up, but you let the church know so the church can do what? Engage in praying for this person. So in the context, that's a very serious issue. In fact, at the end of that, he says, Do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily and thereby share responsibility for the sins of others. Then he tells Timothy, keep yourself free from sin. You know, anytime there's sin in the body and there's not repentance, it's not a time to glory in the person's sin. It's a time to go after that one. And it's a time also to reflect on what's going on in our lives. Hard stuff. Well, the next time it's used, we'll talk about this at some point. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, I left out the 2. But Paul writes to Timothy, I solemnly charge, same word, you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. That's what he's charged to do. You're not charged as a pastor to take a survey and say, well, what do you want to hear? Imagine what that survey would look like. No, he doesn't say, hey, look, tell them jokes. Come up with something. He says, preach the word. You give them the word. So with that, we live in a culture where people don't want to hear the word. So 
the responsibility of the minister is to do what? Preach the word. When I went to Southeastern Bible College, the guys didn't, although George is a hilarious guy, and Dr. Hughley has his humor as well, we didn't sit in Acts or sit in Daniel and have them tell jokes all the time. They taught the word of God. That was their primary charge. So he charges them, preach the word, be ready all the time, in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. So as you see, that word, when it is used, is pretty powerful. So Timothy was to embrace the responsibility of admonishing these men not to wrangle about words. Look what C.H. Spurgeon says. Satan greatly approves of our railing at each other. But God does not. <laughs> There's been a whole lot of railing going on in the church through the centuries. When I was in high school, I was 17. There was a lot of that that took place at Lake Charles Bible Church. It was a good church. Still is a good church. I'll never forget it. You know what the issue was over? Law and grace. It was the same issue that Paul talked with the Galatians about in chapter 3. Having begun by the Spirit, are you being perfected by the law? Well, no. You begin with the Spirit, and the Spirit, what? He continues to teach you and separate you. It's not this list of do's and don'ts. But it came to the point in the pulpit where the pastor was literally preaching messages like, you don't need to wear this, but it's okay to wear that. You don't need to drink this, but it's okay to drink that. And I was 17 years old, and I was like, what? I already have enough rules at 17. And he's giving me more. And instead of the Spirit being the one that he was encouraging us to hear, he was the one that was dictating what was going on. Well, that didn't sit too well with 60% of the congregation. Now, I'll never forget that meeting. My goodness. One got up, began to go through one of the elders, and he talked about being saved by grace and living by grace. And he went to the text. And it was unbelievable, the response. There were people yelling at each other all over the place. It was ugly. I mean, literally standing up and yelling at each other. And saying things to each other that were just appalling. And I was 17, and I was sitting there and taking all that in, and I'm like, my goodness. Maybe that's exactly what Paul was telling Timothy. Warn men, warn the church not to have these word battles. Does that mean we didn't need to stand on grace? Well, no. 40% who were all about the law, they left. And the 60% stayed. But it was the way that people responded to the truth that was disappointing. And there were war, uh, war, words of war going on 
It was ugly. I want to give you some things to think about before we leave today. I want to give you a couple more illustrations. I call these action steps. Like, there may be in your life someone you've had a word battle with and your spirit's not right and you need to make that right. I would just encourage you to confess before the Lord any wrong actions or attitudes. And that's something between you and the Lord. Second thing I would encourage you to do is pray for the opportunity to mend a broken relationship or relationships. Um, With that, you know what's required? Humility. Humility. Pride will keep us from doing the right thing. I, I'm, I just have to be honest. I'm not quite sure how a person lives with themselves when they have when they have known issues between another brother or sister in Christ. I'm not sure how that happens. You say, "Well, that I've tried and they don't respond." Well, then you've done what you need to do. As it pertains to relationships, Paul says in Romans, "As much as possible, be at peace with all men." But that's what you do. You can't manipulate their response. But you can do what the Lord shows you to do. And I can do what the Lord shows me to do. The third part of that. What happened? Is we need to make sure any discussion, whether with a believer or an unbeliever, is done in love. years ago I taught at a Christian school and um, this is a great example of standing on the truth but not having word battles and all the credit belongs to the Lord but I was in a school and they had asked me to teach and I was doing that and I was coaching a little bit and um, they asked me before I got started at the school they said, Thad, we would just like you to steer clear of spiritual gifts. I said, okay, I can do that. Because they knew my position on spiritual gifts. And um, they were more charismatic, we'll just put it that way. And I said, yeah, I can teach. There's a lot of things I can teach that have nothing to do with that. And so I'm like, yeah, great. Well, the year's going along, everything's rocking along just fine, and in February or, or March of the school year, one of the girls in the class who happened to be the secretary's daughter asked me a question. She said, Thad, um, do you believe in eternal security or in the security of the believer? I said, absolutely. Well, she's like, you mean you don't believe you can lose your salvation? I said, that's not what the Bible teaches. So then what was awesome was I may have said just that, and the next thing I know, kids from Faith Chapel who were attending uh, Faith Chapel at the time under George um, and kids who were uh, at Springville Road under Harold, 
they just start talking. They start talking to this girl, and they're like, yeah, we're secure in Christ. And they start giving her scriptures. Well, I didn't know that was an issue for them as much as it was. And so it was about 10 minutes after that class was over, and I got called down to the office. And I brought my Bible because I kind of knew what was coming. And they said, Dad, did you teach or advocate that um, we're secure in Christ, that you can't lose your salvation? I said, oh, yeah. I mean, the Bible's clear about that. And there wasn't any yelling. I mean, we were just talking. And um, so I said that to the principal and to the vice principal, and they said, well, Dad, that's probably going to be a problem. I was like, hmm. I just didn't say anything. I'm like, hmm. Well, they get a phone call, and then the pastor wants to meet with me. So I go across the street, and I meet with the pastor, and we sit in his office, and he said, Dad, do you believe that we can lose our salvation? I said, well, I don't believe that, but that's what the Word, the word tells us we can't. At least it seems to, what I can see. And so I begin to share with him the Word. It's weird. <laughs> I'm just being honest with you, it's weird. I said, well, this is what it says in Ephesians, you know, that we're sealed till the day of redemption. I said, so I, I kind of believe that, right? And, and when we go to First John chapter 5, you know, I believe that's what it says. And then he began to share with me an experience that he had. And he said that, he said, you know, the man that led me to the Lord is no longer saved. Well, there was a lot of things going through my mind. Now, we easily could have had word battles, an all-out fight. But we didn't. At the end of the day, it cost me my job. That's okay. I was fine with that. What hurt the most is that I wanted those kids to know they could trust God in his word. But that would have been an example where, I think, to his credit as well, the discussion was in love on his part and my part. I didn't agree with him, but... I didn't walk away with a bad attitude. I felt sorry for the guy, to be honest with you. You know what I said to him? I'll never forget what I said to him. I said, can I ask you a question? He said, sure. I said, is there joy in your life? He said, what do you mean? I said, man, if I had to worry about every single day, you know, what's going to take me away from the security of my salvation? What's going to take me away from Christ? Because I just don't think I could have joy. So we get in these situations at times, and the question becomes, how do we deal with them? Well, that last part, I really wanted you to, that to register with all of us. When walking away from a discussion, be content with presenting your view or viewpoint, leaving the results to the Holy Spirit. Let Him work in the hearts and the lives of people. There's one more um, story I'll share with you just by way of illustration. You know, there are word battles that go on all the time in churches. There are word battles about baptism. There's word battles about spiritual gifts. There's word battles about the, the security of the believer that goes on. And I don't want you to leave here going, well, we don't need to stand on the truth. We need to stand on the truth. But it's how we stand on the truth and the attitude with which we do that. I mean, in, in Paul's first letter to Timothy, in the first chapter, 
he says that the goal of their instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So it's not like when we have discussions with people that we're going to agree all the time. We're not going to. You can anticipate that. But it's how we respond in those times. Our attitudes and actions that certainly make a difference. One of the issues currently and has been for a while in the church, and it brings a lot of discussion on, is lordship salvation. Big deal. You know, and, and there's books that have been written. Um, Gospel According to Jesus and Absolutely Free by Zane Hodges. And years ago, I even attended a debate in New York State. And do you know what? When I left that debate, I probably should have read this passage in 2 Timothy. They were warring about words, and it was just to the ruin of the hearers. It really didn't do any good. In fact, I walked away going, what did I just attend? I never want to do that again. Because at that debate, if you would have asked every single man, including the two that were debating, if you'd have asked them, hey, do you believe that a person is saved by grace through faith alone and Christ alone plus nothing else? All of them would have said yes, under the heading of justification. A man is justified by faith. But when it came to the topic of obedience, that's where it kind of shifted, we'll say that. The issue of surrender came up. And over the years, this is my take on lordship salvation. Over the years, my conclusion is that a lot of the lordship belongs under the heading of sanctification, not justification. That I'm justified by faith alone and Christ alone plus nothing else, and once I've been declared righteous, that's it. Case closed. Well, who did I get when I believed? You know who we get when we believe? The Lord Jesus Christ. We get all of him. And it used to be that you would hear the statement bannered about, you need to make him the Lord of your life. I was like, hold on, time out. Number one, I'm not making him anything. Right? He is Lord. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. So when I believe, I get all of him. Now the issue of surrender is where? That's the question. I believe the issue of surrender is under mostly the heading of sanctification. And so, I'm still surrendering. How about you? We deal with that on a daily basis. Listen, when I received the Lord Jesus Christ when I was seven, I got all of who he is. But I didn't understand that complete issue of sanctification at that point in my life. Did you? When you first got saved? Now, some may, but most don't. Because guess what? Because he is Lord, he wants all of our lives. Not part of them. All of them. But my salvation is based on faith alone and Christ alone plus nothing else. So you can see how in churches there can be word battles and it can get heated and out of control. And there is a point that we stand. But there's no reason for us to cross the line, right, and have these attitudes and actions that would not be reflective of a person who is being led by the Spirit. So I would encourage you 
as you're having discussions, when you have disagreements with your brothers and sisters in Christ, leave the results to the Lord. Let Him be the one, the Holy Spirit be the one who teaches them and teaches you whatever it is that He chooses to teach you. All right, guys, that's, I know that's a hard thing to hear, but it's really important. I wanted to give you uh, some time this morning just right where you are to just have some time, quiet time, and then I'll close our service in prayer. But just to think about maybe there is a person or persons that we need to sit in front of and say, hey, look, you know, my attitude, my action wasn't right. I need to make that right with you because you're my brother and sister in Christ. Now, hey, listen, guess what we get? One day we get the master teaches, master teacher to teach us everything, right? And so until then, Lord, help us to be humble. Stand strong, but be humble as we approach other believers about issues that, that might arise, all right? Let's have a word of prayer and we'll be dismissed. But I want you to take a minute or two and just, just have that time with the Lord. Lord, we see a lot of uh, word battles going on in our world, and it is disheartening. It's disturbing. Um, I just pray, Lord, that as believers we would maintain our testimony. And remember the most important thing is that we would disseminate the gospel of Jesus Christ in a world that as we see it, it's just, I mean, there's chaos. I pray that we would take the opportunities you give us to share your gospel. And that we would represent you well, not only outside the church, but inside the church. That we wouldn't look for word battles, arguments. We understand that we're going to have discussions. We, we, we know that. But it's like Paul told Timothy, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart. Lord, we, we want to be right before you as we have discussions with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't, there doesn't need to be more division than there already is, Lord. We're seeing division take place. I just pray that you would please help us to understand those things that are not negotiable. Versus those things that are. Help us to be able to draw a clear line there. And, and even when we have times of discussion about these things. That, that Lord we would just use your word. And allow your spirit to work in the lives and the hearts of people. Because I remember at 17 walking out thinking wow this is the church. And um, 
it was catastrophic. I haven't seen some of those people since then. Hadn't heard from them. Um, and they were friends, brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ. So but we know how your church can be torn apart. Lord, we're asking for your help so that we would remain unified under the heading of the gospel of Christ and the word of God. I pray that we would be good examples to our young people who are formulating in their minds right now what the church is about. And uh, Lord, that, that we would be good examples to them. Lord, we want to pray for, as we leave today, we want to pray for Katie Hightower and Lord, just for your, your grace in her life. And I pray she would know that know how much we love her and love the family. And we're just so thankful to know that Kathy's with you in your presence. And Lord, we just want to pray also for Buddy and Brenda and just commit them to you through this process. And we love them very much. And Lord, we're, just, we're hurting with them. We just pray, Lord, that you would help us to know how we might minister to them uh, during this time. May we take seriously the things that have been said today so that we can represent you well as we're out in the world rubbing shoulders with unbelievers and believers. Help us, Lord, to take what, what's been given here. It's your word. And help us to put it deep into our hearts and our minds that we might understand better what your will is for our lives. So we commit our time to you, the day to you, May you be pleased in, with what we say and what we do. And all these things I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You are dismissed.